As a special needs parent, have you felt fear about your child's future? Do you struggle with doubts about decisions you've made or grief over the fact that you even had to make those very decisions? Do you feel guilty for either how you've handled the situation or even your own emotions? In today's show, I'm talking with my friend Debbie Abs about her family's story of transitioning her son Luke to residential, or as Deb puts it, the other R word. But we'll get to that. Hello, and welcome to a Special Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Brody. First, let me tell you a little bit about Deb, who graduated from the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana with a degree in journalism and works as a freelance blogger as well as a disability ministry coordinator for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Illinois and Indiana. Her writing has been featured in several magazines, and her book, Life on the Spectrum, written along with several other authors, came out in the fall of 2018. You can find Life on the Spectrum on Amazon as well as the website lifeonthespectrumbook.com. She and her husband, Mike, who is a police officer, have two children, Brandon and Luke, as well as their crazy English bulldog, Crystal. She also contributes to Key Ministries' special needs parenting blog, which is how I was fortunate to connect with her. And you can find her writing at keyministry.org slash specialneedsparenting. Deb, welcome to A Special Hope. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're finally making this happen. So today we're going to be talking with you about your family's journey, moving your son Luke to residential, or as you put it, the other R word. And we're going to get to to that in a little bit. But first, Deb, as you feel comfortable, share some of your and Luke's story and how you came to this conclusion and what brought you to to this and what are the emotions surrounding that. Tell me, tell me your story. Okay. Thank you. Well, first I just want to say that our Luke is 14 years old. My husband, Mike, and I love him dearly. He has autism and he's nonverbal. When he's happy, his smile lights up the room. It was probably as he started puberty and about a little over a year ago that his behaviors, when his senses are overloaded or during transitions, especially onto the bus, that he would have self-injurious behavior as well as more aggression. Hmm. And so my husband is a strong guy. He's a cop, but he's, you know, he's working, so he's not always here. My oldest son, Brandon, was going, going to go away to college at too. So anyway, last March, I was getting him on the bus and he didn't want to go on the bus, which often happens. Um, so I was trying to help the bus aide you know, get him harnessed in. And he was trying to, to bite because his, he was overloaded. And right. unfortunately he got my thumb in his mouth and he, he bit the, the tip mostly off. Oh my goodness. And yeah. And so, um, I had to get to the emergency room. So they, they took Luke right to school and, and he calmed down, but, um, I needed surgery to, you know, reattach everything. Oh my goodness. What was running through your mind when that happened? 
oh, well, I was in physical pain. And then I just couldn't believe that because I know he didn't mean to do it. You know, I've gotten a bit lesser before and I know he's just overwhelmed. And so, but I was so shocked and in so much pain that that could like that a, a bite could do that much damage. And I just had to run, right. off, the bu- run off the bus and, and get, to the, get to the emergency room. So it was pretty painful physically. And then, of course, emotionally and all that went along with it. But thankfully, I had a good hand surgeon and did surgery that day. And a pin held the tip together and um, it reattached just, just fine. Wow. Wow. And and he calmed down once he got to school? Yeah, they said he, um, so my husband called and checked up on him. Um, and they said he, once he, um, about halfway through the ride, he was calming and he got to school and it was just a kind of a normal day for him, I guess. Yeah. Was the bus aide, was she scared of oh, of Luke and what, what he what might happened? do or how, well, how did they respond to that? Oh my goodness. I have to just say that the bus driver's name is Susan. She she came and saw Luke when he was home, and the bus aide, his name is BP, and they love Luke. They still love Luke to death. But the bus aide BP, I don't think he knew how bad it was or what happened because I had to get off the bus quick. I screamed and got off, so he didn't see anything. And bus driver Susan just said, "We've got him. We'll take care of it," and off they went. Wow. So yeah, they're just fantastic. So they get, kind of gave you permission to do what you needed to do and yeah yeah grab so, a grab a wow. grab a towel put it on my thumb and and, uh, and get to the, the hospital so yeah and then of course for a while I couldn't be caring for Luke because of my thumb was healing and so Mike got him on the bus but until everything else happened Mike was the one doing it then onto the bus so and I was pretty scared to go back on the bus honestly right yeah so wow and so what led you to to the decision to make this transition to residential? How did that come about? What was this kind of the catalyst to that decision? It was the catalyst. I, I have to also say Batavia School District, where we, where we live, they're just wonderful. The first few days, I just had to my, allow my thumb to heal, so I wasn't supposed to get too emotional. But after that, the, um, the woman or Lisa in charge of special needs stuff in our district reached out and said, Deb, I don't want to upset you, but I just want you to start thinking about residential and, and giant steps where he went to school. They love him. They still love him and they want, wanted him there, but they said, you know, we have to, you have to be safe on your end at home as well. So it was a school district that initiated thinking about it. Wow. And how did that, I mean, how did that affect you? What were you were you defensive about it? You know, were you upset that they even mentioned it, or was this something you were kind of already thinking? I was honestly, it was a very hard time. I was grieving and crying, like wrenching tears, like overnight and stuff, because I just, I it was very hard. Um, then after a week, when my um, I still had to heal my hand, but I could, I had a, like a cast thing so I could be around Luke again. And I just remember kind of being reunited with him and it being so special. And we have a part-time caregiver, Catherine, that was there. And we just had this big food party and, and stuff, but I was still a little bit scared at, if Luke would um, 
started to act like he was getting agitated. So it took a little while with that. And then I think I was just already starting to grieve because I, I thought there was going to be a big change. Right. Right. This is upending everything that you've known. Right. He's for, still my baby. For this long. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and how old was Luke when this happened? 13. He, he turned 14 um, kind of right before he, or the same month that he ended up moving. So. Okay. So, so 13 years old. But yeah, I can only imagine that the heartache, you know, there's kind of a, I don't know. I, I guess you said your older son is 19 and he's in mm -hmm. college, right? So he was, how, he was going to wait in the fall to college that fall. Yeah. He was going away. In the, okay. So he hadn't left yet. Right. So, exactly. but now, now that he has left and, and he's, he's away at college now, how would you compare the, the feelings of, you know, sending one son away to college and sending another son away to residential? You know, I, I imagine that there's kind of a, a similar sense of, you know, oh, we're, you know, life is changing and kids are moving out of the house, but for very different reasons. Yeah, exactly. I, um, the timing worked out, Sarah, where we brought Luke in August, last August, to, to Monarch Boarding Academy, where he lives now. And the following week, we brought Brandon to college. And those are my wow. two children. So let me just say this. When we brought Luke, um, my husband broke down crying when we left him in his room there. And my husband doesn't cry very often. Yeah. But when we brought Brandon... There was a couple of tears and we love Brandon so much, but we, there was more, there was also an excitement and a sense that we'd been working towards this and we knew that this was coming. Right. Right. And it's a little bit of a celebration. Wow. We made it through high school and into college. Right. But with right. Luke, because it was so, he's so young and, uh, and I'd been 24 seven caregiving for him for so many years. He's my, my Buddy and I and I, you think about someday when you're not there or when you're really old, you're older, and you, then you think about, well, you know, our children will need somewhere to live um, apart from us when we're not here. We're we're too feeble, but you don't think about it being, yeah, um, when they're young, right? And so the transition into residential. Clearly, there's there's so many emotions around that. What makes you say that residential is the other R word? Well, first, the yeah. first R word. Let's just briefly, oh, just yeah. super briefly touch on that, just for those who maybe are unfamiliar with our lingo and and the language right. within right. the disability field. So the first R word that that would be retarded, right? So. Mm -hmm. And there's a campaign that's out there. If you don't know about this, the campaign yeah, yeah. to spread the word, to end the word. Yes. And, you know, people use the word retarded. Uh, it just the way that the word has been used, the connotation in which it is used is no longer more medically. It's it's no longer a, a medical kind of thing. It's not a it's not a mental health kind of thing. It's a referring. It's derogatory. It's derogatory. Right. It's very derogatory. And people use it in, you know, in jest and in sarcasm, and it is no longer acceptable in, in any in any form. 
um, retarded, retard, like just no. (laughs) No, amen, sister. Yes, completely, completely unacceptable. And, And it doesn't matter whether you're in the disability, if you know anything about disability or not, we do not use this word about anything. Like even if it's, you know, oh, the grocery store didn't have this and how could they not have that? That's so retarded that any any use of the word like that is not acceptable, period. Right. So let's just get that part out there. So that's that's the that's the biggie. That's the big. Yes. Air quotes R word. So the other R word you're saying is residential. So tell us about what 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 makes you say to equate the two together. And I, first, Sarah, let me say that I, I'm not saying that it has the same negative, the same level and depth of negative power that right. the other words right. you just talked about. But there still is a depth of negativity for us as parents of those with special needs. It becomes our life, right? And mm-hmm. we love them so much, just like we love all of our children, typical children too. But when we think about residential, when I thought about residential, it was like, no way, no way will I ever do that, right? Right. And 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 so I think that's what I what I meant by it's kind of this huge scary thing. It was for me in my mind at a distant future point. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. There's just oh, this yes. negative. I would never do that to my child. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, we're not saying we're not saying you can't use the word residential. It it, right, it, it has right. a place in language. Yes. So it's okay to say the word, but just the idea of it is something that's yes. just so adamantly against everything that you believe in as a parent, everything that you've worked against. You know, we trying to keep our kids at home, trying to keep them under our care, and and the, and it gets to a point where we're no longer able to continue safely doing that for ourselves and for our child. And so now we have to consider this really scary thing that was never, ever, 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 ever an option. And now here it is in front of us and it hurts. Right. It does. And I, and I want to say too, though, I have, I have friends with, with adults with disabilities. So more in their twenties or thirties and it's different as they're, if your child gets older, I think there comes a time when you think, you know what? And and based on their ability level too, you know what? They they have their own lives and it'd be great if they could be independent and I'm getting older. And there's there's that too. Um, I just want to mention right. that. It's just for, for us, for our family and a lot of times for younger children and also because it was just such a, a an abrupt thing for us. It it's, right. it doesn't feel good. Right. Right, because it it wasn't supposed to happen this way. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the the parenting picture we all have, right? We're going to raise our kids and they will all live in our home until they, you know, graduate high school and then hopefully they'll go away into, you know, a job or training or college or or whatever it is that their heart's desires in and and there's a tearful goodbye but a, an exciting beginning, you know, like you had for for your older son Brandon. Um kind of a 
pushing the the birdie out of the nest a little bit you right. know like, okay right. time to fly right. but right. we're not re- we're not ready to push our 13 year olds out of the nest right and 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 it's a it's a thing that when it comes around it, it kind of forces your hand and so we buck against that right yeah I, I mean, I, I haven't experienced it. I just, this is what I'm imagining you, you must have gone through. Right, right. How did this decision affect your relationship with, with your husband? Um, how did Brandon take the news? How did this affect your family uh, as a whole? Really good questions. Um, well, I think, you know, for those of us that have spouses, um, we we kind of expect them to act like us. So I was panicking, grieving, crying in the midst of, you know, visiting places, right? And my husband wasn't. (laughs) He was sad and it was a stressful time, but he was looking at it like um, in a more positive way, which I needed, but (laughs) I didn't want at that point. Um, right. There's right. a balance there, but we don't, <laughs> right. I'm not ready for your positivity, Mike. You just, you keep your positivity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and my son, Brandon, he, you know, he, uh, helped a, a lot with Luke, especially over the summer, uh, last summer when he was off school and, and he saw, you know, us using, we used, um, kneeling pads as block as blockers kind of they have a handle like the kneeling garden pads are right caregiver yes. had those in mind and she said you know have those on every level of your house and if he starts banging his head that's a big behavior for him you can block his head and you can also use it to block yourself if you need and so right. he was using those and he saw you know the the meltdowns there was happy times too there always is but so he was said mom you know I want you to be safe, you know, and yeah. it's hard to hear your, your 18 year olds saying that, but Brandon really loves Luke too. And was, you know, worried and wondering how this would play out as well. I, I think that that's, <laughs> that's just another part of, of the special needs life that kind of just hurts our hearts a little bit more too, is watching yeah. our kids, siblings, you know, watching all of our kids deal with it in, in in different ways and you know there there have been times when when my older son who's uh a year and a half older than sam um okay. so sam is 13 now benjamin is okay. is 15 um so okay. uh briefly they're they're a year and a half apart but um anyway yeah. so ben's a little ben's a couple years older than sam and he's come to me you know he's he's heard me you know, kind of crying in the other room. I'm, I'm trying to kind of nice. just get it Hide out, it. you know. And he comes to me and he just says, "Mom, are you okay?" And oh. and you know, and it's like there's this thing in you that's like, "No, you're not supposed to see me cry." You know, you're not supposed to see mom be weak. You're not supposed to see. But I think it's important for us to be honest with our kids and kind of let them in on, you know, on the grief that we're that we're going through. Um, letting mm-hmm. them kind of be a part of that, especially especially with boys, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter with, with, with gender, but I'm just thinking of, you know, the the innate desire for, for guys to want to fix things and kind of, you know, help. Sure. And so, you know, 
having a, a teenage son and trying to teach him how to, you know, hopefully one day he'll have a wife and he'll need to know how to console her. Uh, That's true. That he has to, you know, but maybe there's, maybe there's an element of, of practice, you know, mm-hmm. um, with, with me first, but, but letting them in on, on that um, and being a model for, for, for grieving because they're going to go through periods and, and right. when they see things that are scary, you know, in their sibling and in our home and things that are startling to them, that that's scary. Mm-hmm. We want them to feel safe and being able to express that as well. That's so true. You know? And so I think that, you know, there's, and there's a balance there between, you know, how much we let them in on things, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not, not every day you know, if we're crying, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. right. That's yeah. not healthy. We don't want to fall apart all the time. But, right. you know, every now and again, when, you know, it just when he knows that clearly I'm experiencing something heavy, you know, right. he wants to be, he wants to give me a hug. He wants to make me feel better. And I don't want to deny him the ability to, to feel like he has a part in that. Yes. It, does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. That's really, I think that's really wise, Sarah. Yeah. Mm. And so I'm just thinking through, you know, I want to help him be able to, to grieve because it, it's scary for him too. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's been startling for, for him, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's trying to kind of figure things out and, and he wants, he just, he wants everything to be okay. He wants everyone right. to be okay. He wants everyone exactly. to be safe and happy, yeah. you know? And so there've been times when he's come to me and mom, are, are you okay? You know, and I could just, you know, sometimes I'm like, yep, I'm, it, it's okay. I, I'm all right. And he'll give right. me a hug anyway, you know, yes. and other times I'm like, no, you know, it just, it's just, yeah. it's too much. And it's, and it's yeah. right there. And why try to hide it? Why try to bury right. it? You know, right. we need to teach our kids yeah. healthy grieving, Yeah, you know, and so kind of letting them be a part of things. It's true, true. And, and I have to say my 18, now 19 year old, Brandon is a really good hugger. <laughs> and he's really mm-hmm. good at, at comforting but but you're right there's some there's a balance yeah right how has the lord helped you and your husband and your oh, family so and, and luke with this transition tell me about the faith aspect there i well first of all i don't know what i would do without the lord and knowing how much he loves our family and how much he loves luke mm. and just having the realization that we just did at easter time that Jesus came here to save us and to have a friendship with us. I, I truly don't know think how I would have gotten through this whole time and, and continue. There continues to be times of, of grief when I miss my boy a lot. But one specific thing that he did that helped through through Mike and then helped me is um, we love Johnny and Friends Family Camp. And we were there last summer in the midst of visiting places. And we had, we were thinking that Monarch was a really good place. But we were there. It was, you know, a hard time. And they have couples, small groups offered, at least at the one that we go to that the Chicago Giant Friends Office runs. And we were uh-huh. t- talking with the other special needs parents in our group and talking just about uh, suffering and how that's part of the journey, even though we don't want it to be, right? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and we had a time of prayer. And, and this is unlike Mike. He doesn't often share things that are going on deeply with with him, but he came to me afterwards and he said, I had a sense when we were praying, God told me that we're not doing this because we're 
we don't want to take care of Luke anymore. We, or it's the easy way out for, for us. The Lord said, it's what's going to be best for Luke and his growth. Wow. And that's what I told myself every day from then on, because I had to cling to that because it doesn't seem right. But if God said right. that, then okay. Mm. So just kind of a sense of confirmation that we're moving in the right direction. Whether or not we want to be, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. This wasn't, this wasn't we had planned, you know, mm -hmm. none of this was planned. And yet here we are. Mm -hmm. And here are the choices that we have before us. Mm -hmm. And this is the choice that we've made, you know, based on everything that we've experienced and, and the wisdom mm -hmm. and the guidance from, from others who can mm -hmm. sometimes have a more objective view than, than we do. Right. And moving forward in that right. and then, you know, praying through it. And Lord, is this really, is this really best? Mm -hmm. And for him to just mm -hmm. give us that peace in our spirit that yes, you are doing the right thing here and that's mm -hmm, important mm -hmm. that's important to have and and we you know we we need that oh yes was there any particular scripture that you had gone through or that maybe mike had read well i think um the scripture for me you know i kept going back to john 10 10 which says god has come here uh to give us a full life uh, I, I might be getting that verse a little bit wrong, but you know, that's what I want for Luke, right? For him to have a full life. And that's what I want for us as well. And so I kept going back to that verse that if this is what God has, he'll still have a, a full life and praying through that. And we have seen, so Luke's lived at Monarch Boarding Academy, which Monarch, it's in Ohio, and it's kind of like a small college campus, which is really neat. So there's a building with an indoor pool. There's a building that houses his school during the day and, and more like a dorm setting in a different building. And we have seen Luke, just like God told Mike that it was, it was best for Luke. We've seen him grow, um, getting more uh, independent and telling us things uh, on his touch chat iPad that he didn't before. Wow. And he's just... When he's home, so he was home for a week over spring break, he's just so happy to be home. And we're so happy to have him that it's kind of like a big, I don't know, honeymoon vacation. Right. Um, and also also knowing that, you know, the caregiving isn't going to be 24-7. Um, just it's, and people at Monarch really love him. They, they his teachers and his staff where he lives say, when we come back, oh, I'm so glad he's back. We really missed him, you know. Aww. So, so that makes you feel good. Yeah, yeah. And how has his being in residential? How has that affected your your life? What does your new normal look like now? Well, it's it's different because again, we felt like the the best option that we saw was in Ohio, and we live in Illinois. So we are road road trippers now. And in, in fact, I'm going to leave later today to see Luke. There's a, a great hotel right near there that gives us a uh, discount. Um, oh, nice. And so we, I have to, I've got to see him, Sarah, at least once a month. So mm -hmm. that's what we do. And then we'll bring him home like Christmas, uh, spring break and for, for time this summer. So, yeah. And then our, mm -hmm. and then we travel to see Brandon too, once in a while at college and, and he'll be home for the summer. So 
it's a new normal. And, and one thing that's been different, and I think that others in the special needs community can help with is just for me feeling like my role is gone because so much of it is, is caregiving. And am I still a special needs parent? Right. And right. my friend Linda, who works at the Johnny and Friends Chicago office, she said, Deb, you're still a special needs parent. You know, it's maybe not day to day, but you're still in that group because you can kind of feel like, where do I belong now? Right. But it, but it also opens up our opportunities for me to, to work a little more for the organization, uh, University Christian Fellowship that I've worked very part time for. And I'm hoping to go on a missions trip with church. And so there are other opportunities that way. But battling the guilt is something a little bit. Moms always feel guilty, don't we? Yes. Yes. For me, it's been the guilt of being able to have more freedom and not be homebound and home with Luke. So. Right. Yeah, we, yes. there's, there's a, <laughs> what, what kind of guilt do you have? <laughs> uh-huh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, what does that look like for, for you now? Do you feel guilty that you don't have as much caregiving responsibility anymore? You know, it kind of comes and goes just like grieving. Mm. So, you know, I'm trying to talk to the Lord and, and keep in perspective that this is his plan, but you know, there's times of grief when I'm, you know, go to church and see the awesome special needs ministry at Chapel Street Church that Luke was a part of. Um, there's times of, of guilt, but I, I, I try to keep talking to God about it because that's not a way to, to live your whole life mm. feeling guilty or feeling or grieving, you know, every, every minute of the day. So, right. Right. I always say there's, there's a time for grief, you know, we can kind of visit, but but mm-hmm. you can't live there. You can't set up camp and and right. and live there. And it can be it can be really hard. And there can be seasons of time where, where you're there more often <laughs> than not. Yes. And then there yes. are times when it's a okay, it's time to it, it's time to go back and, you know, acknowledge the feelings when they come up and let a couple tears fall and then it's mm-hmm. we, we gotta we gotta keep moving. You know, we we've got work to do. Yes. Yes, put on our big girl pants and keep moving. Right. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, Deb, for families who may be facing a transition to residential, what thoughts do you have on lessening the scare factor? It's <laughs> um, a great question. For, for, the, for the families themselves who are going through it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then we'll, we'll talk about what others can do. But just focusing on the families yeah, themselves, yeah. what what thoughts yeah. do you have to offer on how to make this yeah. a little less intimidating less. and scary? Right, right. I would say being open to God's leading, um, asking him to guide and be part of the process, because that's a huge one. If, if we feel that, we'll, we'll feel more of his peace. And then like we talked about, Sarah, allowing ourselves to grieve and our, our families to grieve. I think another thing that started to make it a little less scary was just we talked about it every day with Luke over the summer. We said, oh my goodness, you and big brother Brandon both get to go live at your schools. <laughs> what big boys you are. Right. And, you know, then I might go cry later, but it was like, <laughs> you know, this is exciting. This is going to be fun trying to prepare him too. Right. And then listening to others like we said, our spouses, our family, friends, our church communities in the midst of the time, because it's easy for us to 
think that our lives are and and aggressions and different things that happen are just normal. But other people can maybe look in and see this is getting to a certain point here. Right. And then it, it the other thing is it might just be something like we've seen with Luke so far, where our children, our adult children, they thrive and they really like it. Yeah. Right. And mainly just remembering how much God loves us. He loves our children. He has a plan for their lives, even apart from our lives. Right. So. Right. So for families, they can kind of make it kind of an exciting new adventure in, in that way. What about other you know, extended family and friends, church family, oh. the surrounding communities who love the families who are going through this? What can they do to help make make this transition? Is there anything in particular that, that they can do? That's a good question. Um, one thing that's really helpful to not say, and hear me here, I would have probably said that because I thought it. So, but just to step back and not say, uh, I would never do that to my child. Right. Don't say that out loud to the person because they're already <laughs> feeling enough of, of badness. Right. So j- trying to listen, listen to listen to the family and the, the parents w- without judging. Hmm. And then I think a really good thing to do is to walk a mile in others' shoes, right? Yeah. And that can be, I think, I think one really good thing that they can use for that is Diane Doko Kim has as part of her book and resources, something called the wish list, the help wish list. And it's online. I'm sure we can find it. And it's, it goes through all the different categories. You know, when people say, Sarah, how can we help? Right. Or for us when last year, when it was really rough, Deb, how can we help? And we're like, I have no idea because I'm so overwhelmed. Right. Well, the way that you can help, there's this list. It says laundry and different topics, chores, helping with childcare if it's if people are able to do that, you know, if your child will allow that and then say all the different categories and you can fill this out online, I believe, and then send it to people. And so that's a way that people can walk a mile in your shoes is entering into their lives. And our churches can be a great support for that. Right. I think what you said is is a key piece to enter into their lives. And and enter into their suffering with them and and just sitting and and letting them cry when when they're crying because their whole life is changing again mm-hmm. to to again. move them through that after you know when when the mm-hmm. tears you know keep keep coming to to sit and and be with them and then to gently help them move move through it like hey let's mm-hmm. let, let's go get some coffee now let's get out of the house let's get away from yes from this place. i'm so Right. It's for my mom and friends that did th- that have done that and continue to do that. Right. To help you because you you do you do need to have someone give you a push sometimes, right? And, yes, uh, definitely. And to do that, and and those are the ones who are you know who are super close. They're the ones who know your heart. They're the ones who you can you can talk to. You know your your people, right? right? And your people, yes. And they can help you move through it, even just by, you know, hey, I've got some extra boxes. Would this be helpful? Let me drop by mm-hmm. and, you know, pick up, you know, your laundry and, and I'll run it through for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you like to fold your clothes? I'll do that. I'll do it, you know, whatever. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh-huh. The, the other yeah. side of that coin, though, is for the families to allow that to happen. 
It's hard to ask for help, isn't it? It's hard to ask for help. But when people offer to do something and they say, you know, I would like to to come over and help pack this up or help do laundry, whatever it is, you know, if we've said, here's how you can help. And then when they actually show up or they actually offer to help, (laughs) not to push them Mm -hmm. away, say, no, 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 I've got this. Like, I'm super mom. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. Because, you know. Or not to feel like we need to clean up the house before they get there. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, right? Because they're entering into a real life. Exactly. And there are times, you know, you've got plenty of food in the freezer, in the refrigerator. You have time to cook. But if someone's saying, can I bring you dinner? Maybe, maybe say yes. Be, for two reasons. Oh, sir, I always say yes to that. I don't like to cook, and I'm not good at it, but I love to eat. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> there's two reasons for that. One is that it, it really, it, it's going to lessen a little bit of stress, you know, unless that's something that you really love to do, but just follow me mm-hmm. here. Okay. So, yes, yes, to, I'm let them, to let them take it off your plate, to, you know, to allow them to relieve that stress for you, even even if you have, it's not that you're poor, it's not that you don't have it, it's not that you can't afford mm-hmm. it, it's, it has nothing to do with any yeah. of that. It's that they want to bless you. So they're trying to help relieve some stress. So allowing them to do that will, yeah. will relieve your stress. And the second thing it does yeah. is it allows them to to feel like they have a part in it. And, Mm -hmm. and we are robbing them of a blessing when we say, no, I've got this. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We're taking something away from, you know, because people want to help and they know that they can't say any words that's going to make it better. They know that they can't fix it. When people make an effort to enter into your suffering and you put them aside or, or you, you know, you kind of say, no, you know, thanks so much, but no, we've got this. And maybe you do, maybe you've got other family who's already taken care of you and there's really literally nothing for anyone else to do, you know, try to do something to show your appreciation or, or something, you, you know, send I, a note, send a card, right. Something just to say, I, I, mean, I appreciate things. that you, that you're trying to do this for me. But, but in general, when people are offering, you know, they're, they're trying to be a part of things and, and we can kind of, Ah, we can kind of be selfish when we say, no, we've got this, hmm. you know, like we can kind of be a yeah. little, you know, we're, we're thinking maybe that's too harsh. I don't know, but I, it's just something that, that I think of a little bit. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you know a pride thing, I think. And we, you know, we need Sometimes. to kind of set, it can be not always, not in every sense, yeah. not yeah. in every situation, yeah. but to set that aside and to allow to allow other people to enter in because mm-hmm. because then later if we say no we can't then later sit and cry saying no one's here and no one that's true you know Good point you know i'm all alone in you know in my uh-huh. and well we're alone because we told everybody no we don't want you so uh, we that's have to, true there's there's a balance there but you were gonna say something. yeah there's a balance well i just you know what's been neat too what they would miss out on is like when luke was home for the week we're we're still pretty homebound because he's a runner and he might have a behavior so so and but so many people wanted to come visit luke and it was just, then they had the blessing. He was so happy here and smiling and they had the blessing of seeing him when they wouldn't have. So, you know, my friend Amy brought Portillo's because we love Portillo's. So does Luke. And I don't know what those are. If, what is that? You don't know what Portillo's are? Oh my goodness. It must be, it's an Illinois thing. Uh, <laughs> wonderful hot dogs, hamburgers, 
chocolate cake. It's an Illinois thing. Sorry about that. But you can order. I think they might mail some of the stuff to you online. Oh, it's a restaurant. You, I was state. thinking it was a it's type a of food. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, it is. Portillo's is a restaurant. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Gotcha. Sorry about that. Gotcha. Okay. Local thing. Yeah. So. Awesome. Anyway, so there's this entering into suffering and then also entering into the happiness at times, too, right. that they get to be a part of, if we let them, we right. let folks. So. Right. That's really all about community and, and doing life together, right? With our, yeah, with our family yeah. members, with our church family, you know, w- with, with mm-hmm. our closest uh, friends, you know, those, you know, our people to, to do life together. And that means, that means entering other people's suffering with them. It means if you're the one who's suffering, allowing other people to enter in with you and, and to sit with you yes, and to cry with yes. you and to, and to bless you. Yeah just so they feel like they have a part of it. And, and really, when they are doing that, when others are entering in, they are being Jesus to us in those moments. Right. right. They are. Definitely. That's what Christ did for yeah. us, right? He entered into our suffering. Yeah. He is our great intercessor. Yeah. He is our great high priest. And they enter in, and they are praying mm-hmm. for us, and they are sitting with us, and they are feeding mm-hmm. us and, and caring for us. And not because we can't do it ourselves, but because they're just trying to to bless us and and to be Jesus for us, and mm-hmm. and and when we allow that to happen, you know, our, our relationship with them grows stronger, and you know, we're bonded in the in yeah. those times, and our relationship with the Lord grows stronger too, because we see that it's His hand that is sending them. Definitely, and I think they also earn the right. I, I was just going to say the final thing that others can do to help and. Before they could do this part that I'm going to say, they, they need to be, you know, close friends and close to us and understanding our lives and be understanding them. I mean, it's reciprocal too, but the thing that as people might not even be thinking residential or, or living apart is an, is an option or wanting to think about is if things are getting more of control, you know, safety-wise, speaking the truth in love. Mm. You know, and you can't speak the truth that's hard to hear to somebody if they don't know you love them and care about them. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, it won't be heard at all. Yeah. So. That's so key to you know, speaking the truth in love. And, and and for families, you know, who, who are the ones going through it and, and maybe they're already thinking about it, you know, be prepared for a little bit of pushback, right? Because <laughs> for Oh, yeah. Oh, well, definitely. And I'm not saying go say that to everyone you know. No, not at all. No, but, no, no, no. No. Yeah, yeah, but for us in the for me and for us in the process of so much grieving, it was people would say, you know, Deb, this is going to be a good thing, even though I didn't want to hear it. You know, I, right. I did not want to hear it. It was right. it was good to hear it too because it was like, okay, if you hear something enough, you can start to let go a little and maybe believe it. Right. Yeah, I love that to know that they love you and they care about you. So having that relationship first, so that you can say the hard mm-hmm. things when you need to hear it. Yeah. What special hope has motivated you through all of this in your faith in your relationship with the Lord? Mm-hmm. What hope do you hold on to that that keeps you going through through this whole transition to residential, just in the continuing yeah. Yeah. life that you're living? What is your hope yeah. that you have to share with others? Yeah. Well, my hope is, is in God and that he has this. He And it's good to look back to, Sarah, isn't it, of the times that 
the, the times that the Lord has provided. I, I think about when Luke got baptized at our church here at Chapel Street Church and how special that was. And I think ahead that, you know what, we're going to help him get involved, hopefully at a church uh, near where he is or people coming to visit Monarch and just that God continues to have a plan and continues to use Luke and in my son Brandon, where he is and we where we are. But our hope is in, in God and his love and his plan for our lives, even when it's not, it's plan B, C, D, E, F. You know, it's not, it hasn't gone according to plan A from, from the diagnosis of autism when Luke was three through till, you know, now it, it's, it's been a different plan, but it, it's still a good plan because it's God's plan. Right. It's like what Sandra People says in her book, Unexpected Blessings, my plan B was God's plan A. Yes, yes, that she sums that up right. Yeah. The verse that you were referring to earlier, John 10.10, says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he goes on, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his Mm. life for the sheep. And Mm. Jesus is a good shepherd. He is with us. He's entered our suffering with us. He intercedes for us on our behalf and he is working. He's working all of these things for our good and and for his Mm -hmm. glory, even when it's hard to hear, even when we don't want to, we don't want to think about that. Right. But he's giving this to us and and even in special needs, even in autism, even in moving your 13 year old, 14 year old to residential that he is giving us life abundant because we are living it in Christ. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, amen, Sarah, that's true. I know Deb's story has been so helpful as she has shared with other families experiencing the same circumstances of transitioning a child to residential. But even if that's not your particular story, I hope you found encouragement and hope in Jesus as she has shared about her son and their family. I want to tell you about a book project that Deb wrote called Life on the Spectrum. Because no two people with autism are the same, Life on the Spectrum authors all bring their unique perspective and experience to the table. Their honest and heartfelt stories show how God is at work in the real world struggles of families impacted by autism. The foreword was written by Diane Doko Kim, and Kelly Anderson and Kevin O'Brien are two main co-authors, with other contributing authors being Kathy Bolduck, Rick and Michelle Bovell, Barb Dittrich, and Deb's husband, Mike Abs. I highly recommend this book, which you can find on Deb's website, lifeonthespectrumbook.com, and on Amazon. I'm your host, Sarah Brody, and this is A Special Hope. You can find our website at hopeinautism.com slash Podcast, also on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast, and on Twitter at Pod. You can also email me at Podcast at hopeinautism.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media and hear your comments. And if you're enjoying listening to A Special Hope, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give a five-star rating and give a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It goes a long way towards helping others find hope and encouragement. 
Thanks so much for listening today. Have a great week.